Welcome to episode 135 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about January 2021, the month the totalitarians came out of the closet. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as totalitarianism, the Paris Climate Accord, purges on social media, the 2020 presidential election, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and on Instagram where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you are listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Coming on the heels of the election fiasco, vote fraud, improprieties, irregularities, and illegalities, check out episodes 130 and 131 for details on that. Fresh off that disaster, we had both Georgia Senate seats go to a runoff election that was held in January. If the Democrats won both races, which of course they did, they would control the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Nothing shady was going on in Georgia in the lead-up to the election, unless you count Stacey, I should be Governor Abrams, who went on an illegal voting registration frenzy with out-of-state residents. But given the lack of legal response to the bullshit that went on during the regular election in Fulton County, Georgia, who the hell is going to stop her? It was at this point that the totalitarians poked their heads out of the closet, having successfully wrestled the presidency away from Trump, followed up by the sweep of the two Georgia Senate seats by two gem candidates, a trust fund wussy boy and a new age Marxist. Well done, Georgia. Clearly, the biggest story of the month was the Trump rally gone bad, held in D.C. at the same time Congress was confirming the state electors from the presidential election. A few idiots broke into the Capitol, walked around while Capitol Police seemed to escort them, pausing long enough to take selfies. These idiots did take a few items belonging to esteemed Democrat members and briefly occupied some of their offices. Eventually, the group formed outside the House chamber doors where an Air Force veteran was shot to death by Capitol Police. Congress had to be evacuated for a few hours before returning bravely to do the people's business. The Democrats and establishment Republicans blamed Trump for the incursion, of course. This despite the fact that in his speech he said to patriotically and peacefully protest. In perfect Washington fashion, never letting a crisis go to waste in order to take away more of our liberties, that unholy alliance proceeded to use the uprising as a catalyst for domestic terrorism legislation. They couldn't just call out the perpetrators. They had to call out anyone who objected to the state electors and basically all 74 million Trump voters. All of them are domestic terrorists, extremists, insurgents, and insurrectionists. The National Democrats expressed more outrage over some vandalism at the Capitol, the Temple of Democracy, as Chuck Schumer called it, than they did when their own colleagues were shot at by a crazed Bernie supporter in 2017. 
As I wrote in Facebook, if Trump is guilty of inciting violence at the Capitol, then Obama is guilty of inciting the violence in Dallas in 2016, which resulted in the death of six police officers. After all, Obama's inflammatory rhetoric about the police being racist could be interpreted as provoking the attack and murders. And if Trump is guilty of inciting violence in the Capitol, then Bernie Sanders is guilty of inciting the violence in D.C. in 2017 when a gunman, one of Bernie's supporters, opened fire on a softball field full of congressional Republicans. After all, Bernie's inflammatory rhetoric about how the Republicans were going to destroy and defund various welfare programs could be interpreted as provoking that assassination attempt. Applying different standards to different people in similar circumstances makes you disingenuous, dishonest, deceitful, and dangerous. It was at this point that the totalitarians fully came out of the closet. Big tech censorship picked up dramatically, taking down one conservative after another, including the entire parlor website. The great social media purge of 2021 was on. I produced full episodes on both of these topics if you're interested. Check out episodes 126 and 132, respectively. The House impeached Trump again on one article about inciting the violence at the Capitol. He, of course, left office in January 21st before the Senate could hold a trial. Speaking of leaving office, Trump decided not to attend Biden's embarrassing inauguration, which was a good decision in hindsight. I actually support his decision not to attend. After all, he obviously truly believes that given all the illegalities, irregularities, and improprieties in some battleground states during the election, that he likely had the election stolen from him. Biden won some of those states by as little as 11 to or 12,000 votes. So why would he attend an inauguration that he deemed as illegitimate? Hell, the Democrats spent eight years calling Bush's presidency stolen and illegitimate, and they spent Trump's entire presidency claiming that he was illegitimate with no evidence. Why can't he do the same thing with some evidence? I will have more on the disgraceful inauguration later. Back to the impeachment. See, the Uniparty, the Dems and establishment Republicans, need to make sure Trump never runs for office again. The only way to do that is to convict him in the Senate. Problem. The Constitution has a provision for impeaching the president. It doesn't say former president or private citizen. The Constitution also says that the Chief Justice shall reside over the trial. Problem. Chief Justice Roberts said he will not do it. He knows it's a sham. The undeterred Democrats instead assigned longtime Democrat pro-impeachment senator from Vermont, Patrick Leahy, to preside over the trial. Can you even imagine the uproar from the Democrats if Republicans pulled something as clearly a partisan vendetta as this stunt? As I have told you and documented over and over again, we live in a post-constitutional America. This brazen disregard for it by far takes the cake. Oh, by the way, Trump left office with a 51% approval rating, according to Rasmussen's tracking poll. Now that the totalitarians were out of the closet, they no longer had to hide their intentions. They put the pedal to the metal. The they I am referring to are number one, big tech, and number two, the Democrats in Congress. Let's start with big tech. I titled episode 132, The Great Social Media Purge of 2021. In it, I documented the timeline of The Purge, starting with fringe characters like Alex Jones, and moving through sites like Gab.com and Brighteon.com, then moving to folks like Laura Loomer, gun websites and forums, Steve Bannon, Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, and a host of other non-leftists who you will never hear about unless you specifically follow them, like Axe 17 Apologetics. 
Then we had the Parler takedown. That's a free speech alternative to Twitter. It was dropped by Amazon's AWS cloud platform. Then their attorneys and their texting and email services all dropped them all in one day. The pretext for this action was violent content on their platform. Keep in mind that Twitter is also hosted by AWS, a platform where death threats and violent language is the norm. As of this recording, Parler is still down, only having a splash page website. Parler, of course, is suing AWS, as it is clear that there is some shady collusion shit going on here. Trump, of course, was the main target of the totalitarian social media purge. Twitter and eight other social media sites banned President Trump. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, Shopify, YouTube, and others. Salesforce shut down Trump's email campaigns. Twitter banned Trump permanently late in the month. So that was some of the totalitarian tactics being employed by big tech. Well, what about Congress and Biden? Wait until you see what they have in store for the rest of us deplorables. As annoying and scary as the social media purge is, the new focus of the totalitarians on domestic terrorism is downright sinister and evil. The Democrats are proposing legislation to unleash the illegal NSA spying apparatus, supposedly set up to track foreign terrorists. They're proposing legislation to unleash that on American citizens who do not worship at the altar of the Democrats' agenda. See, we need to get our heads right. We need to be deprogrammed. Former Facebook exec Alice Stamos, members of Congress, and Alphabet Soup media types have recently labeled the questioning of election results as violent extremists, domestic terrorists, revolutionists, insurgents, all of which need to be eradicated from social media and, for that matter, society. You should lose your job, lose your website, be removed from the banking system. Then the totalitarians argue that because you are a terrorist, you should be surveilled by law enforcement in order to snuff out any extremism. How hard will it be, given that the government has been vacuuming up most of our electronic activity for over a decade? You know, the metadata they claim to be collected? Yeah, it'll be easy. A guy named C.J. Hopkins from a site named The Consent Factory came up with a very descriptive analogy about America today. He wrote, Think of the Trump era as a prison riot. In any maximum security prison, the prisoners know they can't escape, but they can definitely raise a little hell now and then, which they tend to do when they get really tired of being abused and neglected by the prison guards. Most prison riots run out of steam on their own, but if they go on too long or get too ugly, the penal authorities typically respond by shooting a few prisoners, usually the ringleaders, and reminding the inmates that they are in a prison and that the owners of the prison have guns, whereas they have shivs made out of spoons and toothbrushes. This basically is what we've just experienced. The ruling class have just reminded us who is really in charge, who the U.S. military and intel communities answer to, and how quickly they can strip away the facade of democracy and the rule of law. They have reminded us of this for the past 10 months, putting us under house arrest, beating and arresting us for not following orders, not wearing masks, for taking walks without permission, for having the audacity to protest their decrees, for challenging their official propaganda about the virus, the election results, etc. They are reminding us currently by censoring dissent and deplatforming anyone they deem a threat to their official narratives and ideology. Let's spend some time on our new resident of the United States, you know, the one who has some clearly discernible mental incapacity issues. 
First, the inauguration. What can I say? Creepy Joe held a creepy inauguration. Who attended? Only Washington and Hollywood elites, of course. It looked like something out of the Hunger Games. We are told that this guy received 81 million votes, and what, 2,000 people attended his inauguration? Well, it was actually closer to 30,000 if you include all the law enforcement and National Guardsmen. 26,000 National Guards. They put up 200,000 flags in the mall to fill in where real people would have been. They said attendance was low because of COVID. Oh, and because of the threat of a domestic terrorist violence that they made up and put out all over the news in alphabet soup media outlets for weeks leading up to the inauguration. Oh, and the mayor of D.C. told people not to attend. You want to know the real reason they made up stories about potential violence, barricaded the city, and discouraged people from coming? Number one, they knew no one would attend. I mean, come on, no one loves Joe. Not even his family, who have subjected him to elder abuse for the past 18 months, forcing a clearly mentally deficient person to run for the highest office in the land. Anyway, they knew no one would attend. Hell, almost 50% of Americans think he was installed into office rather than winning the contest outright. The Dems couldn't bear the embarrassment of showing side-by-side photos of Trump's inauguration versus Biden's. Too bad. They're out there anyways, and they are devastating. The second reason they made up stories about violence at the ceremony was they were afraid Trump supporters would show up and actually shout down Biden like they did at the few campaign rallies that the dude actually held. P.S. President Biden forced National Guard troops to sleep outside after providing security for his inauguration. Thankfully, a couple of state governors recalled their guardsmen after seeing how they were being treated, and Trump offered the Trump Hotel in D.C. for guardsmen to stay. One of the ways you know you are dealing with a totalitarian is the lack of deference to the people or the people's representatives, i.e. the legislature. With that in mind, Biden signed 37 executive orders his first week in office, more than any other president, including ordering a halt to the use of the XL pipeline. 11,000 jobs were eliminated immediately. See, to a demented leftist, it's better to have the oil shipped via truck or train or shipped to foreign countries than to utilize a perfectly good pipeline. He also ended fracking on federal land. This killed another 10 to 20,000 jobs and made us go from energy independent to energy dependent, from an exporter of oil to an importer. What besides mental illness or pandering could explain either of these? Biden signed an executive order to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. Check out episode 133 for a deep dive into that issue. He signed an executive order mandating masks be worn on federal property, which he immediately violated on multiple occasions, and when his press secretary was asked about it, she said, we have bigger issues to deal with. Biden rejoined the World Health Organization. You remember the one that lied about the coronavirus as it tried to mitigate the blame placed on China for releasing it in the first place? Do you remember shortly after Trump imposed a travel ban on China last year, Biden came out and labeled him a xenophobe? Biden also attacked Trump for his Africa ban in February. One year later, and Joe Biden banned travelers from Africa, Europe, Brazil, and the UK. I wonder what that makes him. Oh, and Biden is pushing a moratorium on deportation. If you were in the country by some date in November of last year, regardless of your criminal record, there is no deportation. It has been described as a public safety nightmare by Tom Holman, who oversaw deportations under Obama and was named acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement by Trump. 
Here's what I wrote on Facebook. Biden's immigration policy removed the Trump administration's requirement that asylum seekers stay in the first country they come to while their application is reviewed. If they were caught in the states, their application was revoked. Biden is also promising lots of goodies by way of benefits. So we have yet another caravan of migrants making their way to the states. So with tens of millions of Americans still out of work, they now get to compete with hundreds of thousands of new job seekers from Central America and beyond. Why would Biden encourage this? Number one, in the coming months, he's going to grant illegals amnesty. So he needs as many of them here as possible because along with amnesty will be, drumroll please, voting rights. Number two, history demonstrates that first-generation immigrants vote Democrat at an 80% plus clip. It's an international voter drive paid for by the U.S. taxpayers to create a one-party system so they never have to listen to any of us again. They won't even have to go through the trouble of employing tactics like voting irregularities, improprieties, and illegalities to win elections. It's both brilliant and sinister. Too bad there's not an opposition party in D.C. Biden said he will defeat the NRA while in office. Hey, why not, Joe? You and your party have clearly demonstrated your lack of commitment to the Constitution. I mean, the particular amendment that the NRA is connected with is right there near the beginning. It's known as the Second Amendment. Another thing Biden indicated he would accomplish during his residency at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue was his declaration to economic policy decisions, not based on economics, mind you, but based on identity politics, virtue signaling, and other woke considerations like race, gender, and the environment. You know, like raising the unconstitutional federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. Sounds great when the corporate press talks about it, but it literally forces low and no-skill workers out of the labor market. Would you rather have a so-called low-paying job or no job? Check out episode 4 if you're interested in a deep dive into that topic. File this under Follow the Science. An international peer-reviewed study entitled Assessing Mandatory Stay-at-Home and Business Closure Effects on the Spread of COVID-19 was published during the month by European Journal of Clinical Investigation. It demonstrated that mandatory lockdown orders may not provide significantly more benefits to slowing the spread of the disease than other voluntary measures such as social distancing or travel reduction. Don't worry, the totalitarians will ignore that study. In other news, do you remember Jacob Blake, the dude that was shot in the back by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, after breaking into his girlfriend's house, stealing her car, taking their kids in the car, fighting with the police, pulling out a taser, and then reaching for a knife while the police tried to subdue him? Remember the riots that ensued, just like in Minneapolis with George Floyd and Louisville with Breonna Taylor? All three incidents, overblown and lied about by the media and every Democrat within three feet of a microphone. Well, the prosecutor dropped the charges against the police officer because, come to find out, police officers are under no obligation to allow a suspect to stab them during an arrest. By the way, if you're interested in the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor incidents, check out episodes 107 and 117, respectively. File this under, you can't make this shit up. Nancy Pelosi dictated a bunch of restricted rules about the use of words in the text of House rules that associate a person with their individual biological sex at birth. Within 48 hours of that change, she went out and gave a speech endorsing the second impeachment of Trump and called herself a mother, a sister, a grandmother. Don't you think she should set a better example for the members of the House? You know, more like Representative Emanuel Cleaver 
a Democrat from Missouri, an ordained United Methodist minister who delivered a prayer at the outset of the first session of Congress and concluded with, Amen and a woman. No, I'm not making that up. File this under the personification of hypocrisy. For years, the Democrats have called the border wall racist. Then they went and built a permanent fence around the Capitol for protection from all the non-existent Trump, white supremacist, insurrectionist, domestic terrorists. Climate czar and failed presidential candidate John F. Kerry, who served in Vietnam, in a moment of honesty, told the world, We could go to zero emissions tomorrow, and the problem isn't solved. Why is that, Mr. Kerry? Because, as Kerry explained, 90% of global emissions come from outside the U.S. borders. So the obvious question is, why are all of these lunatics pushing initiatives that crush the U.S. economy in the name of climate change, when it won't make a damn bit of difference unless China and India are held to the same standard? It's not a rhetorical question. I would really like someone who buys into this agenda to defend it. I won't hold my breath, but will celebrate anyone who steps forward and tries. In case you thought Trump just rode off into the sunset, he didn't. He created the office of the former president. In a statement from his office, quote, The office will be responsible for managing President Trump's correspondence, public statements, appearances, and official activities to advance the interests of the United States and to carry on the agenda of the Trump administration through advocacy, organizing, and public activism. So much trolling to do in such little time. Turns out Dr. Fauci, the often wrong flip-flopping disease czar for America, is the highest paid federal employee, even more than the president. Man, this dude is something else. He reminds me of your TV weatherman, I mean, meteorologist. He rarely gets anything right, but keeps collecting that rather hefty paycheck. There are a handful of politicians that should receive nothing but scorn based on their behavior, actions, and words. People like the late Ted Kennedy, or Lyndon Johnson, or the barely-living Nancy Pelosi. Throw in the likes of Maxine Waters, that phony Botox senator from Connecticut who lied about serving in Vietnam, what's his name, Blumenthal? Or Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff, the governors of Michigan and California, Whitmer and Newsom? But there is another one that probably should be brought up on thousands of counts of manslaughter, or at least recalled from office, that being New York Governor Cuomo. Why would I make such a bold statement? Well, you see, he's the bombastic, narcissistic, heavy-handed asshole who received glowing press coverage from his brother, Chris, Democrat operative posing as a CNN anchor, Cuomo, and the rest of the Alphabet Soup media, and he was even awarded an Emmy for his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, which was weird given the fact that he issued an order that forced nursing homes to accept COVID-19 positive patients back to their nursing homes. In the middle of it all, he wrote a book about how great his leadership was, all the while chastising and criticizing all things Trump. Turns out, as conservative outlets have been saying for months, his administration undercounted COVID nursing home deaths by as much as 50% and tried to cover it up. This according to New York Attorney General Lietta James, a Democrat. I believe there is a special place in hell for people like Andrew Cuomo. In one of the most bizarre stories that I can remember, we had a massive short squeeze on several stocks, most famously the video game and video console retailer GameStop. In a nutshell, a bunch of hedge funds and institutional investors shorted the hell out of GameStop's stock, which simply means they were betting that it would go down in value and when and if it did, they would profit from its decline. 
Basically, when you sell short a stock, you borrow the shares from your broker and sell them, pocketing the money. The idea is that you will buy it back in the future and give it back to your broker. So here's an ideal situation. You borrow and sell the stock at $40 and say you have 100 shares. You pocket four grand. Sometime in the future, you buy the 100 shares back at, say, 30 bucks and give it back to your broker. Voila, you made 1000 bucks. So these institutional investors shorted a lot of GameStop stock, and some stock investment forums and groups on Reddit took notice of this large short volume. So they went on their forums and suggested that everyone band together and start buying the stock. Well, the damnedest thing happened. The friggin' stock went from $17 to almost $400 in a matter of days, meaning the institutional investors were left with billions of dollars in losses if they actually close out their position. But even if they didn't, meaning they hope the stock returns to the pre-frenzied price, they still had to come up with billions of dollars in collateral or margin to cover their huge potential losses. This whole episode is being betrayed as the ultimate David vs. Goliath. Actually, I guess it would be more like millions of Davids against a dozen Goliaths. The big hedge funds versus the little guys. What did the big hedge funds do? They ran to government and asked for protection. Platforms like Robinhood and Ameritrade and others started to limit the number of shares their customers could buy of GameStop and the other stocks. As the month ended, these Renit renegades set their sights on the silver exchange-traded fund, looking to squeeze the big banks and Wall Street barons out of more of their wealth. If that plays out like the GameStop situation, I'm sure I will be talking about it in the February Month in Review episode. And finally, i like to talk about the markets briefly. For the month of January, the S&P 500 was down 1%, the Dow Jones was down 2 gold was down almost 3%, and silver was up a little bit over 2%, but that was just as the shenanigans of the short squeeze was starting to hit the market. And that is the truth about January 2021, the month the totalitarians came out of the closet. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 